number two, if you will, Philippians chapter number two, and uh, we're going to start in verse 13, and just have this kind of be our starting point here this morning, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, we've been talking about the grace reset, just resetting our thinking, and, 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 and then we kind of, this is lesson number 10, believe it or not, so we've just kind of morphed into the grace life and different things that come up in our thinking, and last week we were talking about the will of God, and I know it was Easter, and how the will of, how, how the will of God has been made known, Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, it's not a mystery thing, it's not a mystical thing, it's not something that you've got to have an inner feeling about an outer expression, or an inner, or an inner expression about an outer feeling, or whatever, it's knowable, we know it from the word of God, rightly divided, it's there. What is the will of God? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So guess what? The moment you got saved, guess what you were doing? The will of God. As you come to the knowledge of the truth, what are you doing? The will of God. And we, when we did that, we spent some time looking at some things, but then naturally what comes out of that study is then, well, then how does God work today? How does he intervene? How does he chasten, you know, correct? Discipline. How does he do that? And I just want to spend this morning with you looking at what the Word says. Because usually when you talk about subjects like this, you get real quick into the theologians and the Bible college mentality and, well, this is what it says and this. And you get all of these ideas that come outside, inside. And yet when you look at Scripture, it's completely, it doesn't say any of that. And actually, the great Calvinistic idea of God preordained everything before the foundation of the world, that this is how you're going to be. Paul literally blows that out of the water in a lot of what he says about, hey, I determined with myself to go do this. I looked at it. I decided I'm doing this. And, and you know, oh, my goodness. And guess what? God didn't, we were talking, rain down lightning bolts and nail him. He just said, hey, if you go do that, you're going to have trouble. And off he went. And yet Paul still did it. You know, in Acts, three times, the Holy Ghost, through people, told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul still did what? Went to Jerusalem. And you know what? The end, the last, uh, the last little warning to Paul about that was, when you go, you're going to go in bonds. And you're going to go in trouble. You're, you're going to have, you know, the, the greatest stocks and bonds that Paul ever owned were given to him by the Romans. Uh, and, and that's just what it is. So when you think about that, Again, the natural question then is, how does God work then? Well, God intervenes in life, okay, because that's the big word, intervention. And he chastens you. He intervenes in life, really, in your life in two direct manners. One, he intervened the moment of your salvation, of your justification, by taking you, a sinner, and moving you into the family of God. That takes him doing that, him intervening. And by the way, when we talk about intervention, usually the Bible scholar guys pull you all the way back into Israel's program and they run things and they do that. And, and that's well and good because did he do that back then? Yes, he did. See, he's just not operating today that way. What is the will of God? Find out what God's doing and let's go do that. What's he doing today? He's taking unsaved individuals and he's forming the church, the body of Christ. So let's be about that. See, that's what he's doing. So when you think about this, come back to Romans 3. 
So I just want to, like I said it a couple weeks ago, I want you to kind of fall in love with your Bible. I want you to fall in love with your Savior. Because he does intervene in life. And by the way, he doesn't intervene the way we always want him to. You know, when we talk about prayer, depending on how far we get this morning, about prayer next time, (laughs) we, we have certain ideas about how he ought to be answering our prayer. And yet he doesn't. The end of Romans, in, in Romans 15 there, he says, Hey guys at Rome, pray for me that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers in Judah and that they'll accept the gift and then I'll come to you. And you know what? Paul wasn't thinking about going there shackled to the Roman soldier. I think he was thinking about going there on the cruise liner in a little more relaxed atmosphere. And yet, what did God do? God answered the prayer, but it just wasn't the way we thought it was going to be. And when we look at that, guess what? He intervenes in your life just not like you have been taught or you think it is. He intervenes at the moment of your justification, the moment of your salvation. And then the second area he intervenes is every time in you, he intervenes in your life on a daily basis when you read his word. I exhort you to read three chapters a day. Romans to Philemon, you're done in 28 days, start it over. You can read Paul's epistles 12 times, and when you do that, he is intervening in your life by altering your vocabulary, your perception, to match his vocabulary, to match his perception. So he does intervene when we read it, we renew our inner man, and we grow. He is intervening. He's just not sending light bulbs, light bulbs, (laughs) lightning bolts, or any of that down on you. He didn't give you the Powerball numbers. You know why you won the Powerball? If you won the Powerball, we need to talk. But he, if you win the Powerball, well, how did you do it? That? that means you went over there, fooling his money or soon parted, and you played the game. That's how you won that, and you got lucky. I just need a million. So if you got it, we'll just talk it out, okay? All right. Well, maybe two, okay, if you're offering, okay? But see, the thing, and we joke about that, but in mainline Christianity, that's how they think. That if I dump enough prayer quarters in the vending machine in the sky, his name is called God, that he'll rain down the blessings. Ephesians 1.3 says you are already blessed with all spiritual blessings. You're not getting any more. I'm ahead of myself, but that's what happens here. Look at Romans 3. Let's look at the first one. And then we'll talk about him cha- his chest, his correction of you, if we have the time. But just look, if you will, Romans 3. Look at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all, what? Paul, in the first three chapters of Romans, he's proving something. He's proving, as it is written, verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know what he's proven? He's proven man, humanity, are what? Sinners. And because you're sinners, chapter 3, verse 23, what did you do? You fell short of the glory of God. You've got, there's an issue here that you need help with. There's an issue in your life. Romans 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, Romans 6, the context of Romans 6 is the believer in his walk and his identity. And the wage of walking not as who you are in Christ is what? Death. That's the payment of it. 
That's why he starts there, and he'll say in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation to them that what? Walk in the Spirit. See? If you're walking where you belong, guess what's not going to come in your life? Death. You're going to have life. But see, what happens is, is it starts with an understanding that, you know what we are? We are a sinner. We're Revelation 20 material. We're worthy of the second death, the lake of fire. We are worthy of that. That's, that's who we are. By the way, have you, look over there at Revelation. I don't know if you guys think about some of this. You think about the gospel. Revelation 21. Just look at Revelation 21. Verse 8. But the fearful and unbeliever, unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters are any... Uh, boy, those are some tough names. People there, aren't they? But then keep reading. And all what? He just got everybody, didn't he? I'm not a liar. You, ju- you are a liar. You just lied. See? He just got them all, didn't he? and have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You go back up to verse 14 of chapter 20, the great white throne judgment event here in death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You come back there to Romans 6, or I'm sorry, Romans 5, and what did he do? He went and died for you. Romans 3, I'm sorry, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You got a problem. You need God to intervene in your life as a sinner. You're on your way to hell, the lake of fire, death. I mean, you're going to wake up. You ought to go read Psalm 69, okay? Not as a reproach psalm, but just read Psalm 69. But read it from thinking like a lost person. Because when the Lord says that stuff in Psalm 69, He's saying it not as a man, Psalms 22, but as a worm. He's, t- he's talking about sinful man. And you know what happens? He says, save my soul from the mire, from the water overflowing my soul. And He talks about the issue of what it feels like to drown. And the unsaved are drowning. They're in that, they have this falling feeling. It's called the bottomless pit, the compartment there. So in hell, they're not sitting around there, you know, like Hollywood would make you think. They are constantly in a falling state, drowning, not able. See? And God the Father says, I'm going to send my son, God the Son, to die for humanity. Titus chapter 1 in verse number 2, God, who cannot lie, promised, I butchered it, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Who did he promise? Who's back there before the world began? Just the Godhead. Just the three members of the Godhead. So who's the promise made with? Themselves. We talked about this yesterday at the, at, in our study at the men's meeting. And what they do? They go and they get in actively involved in the redemptive program of, of giving and making available eternal life to lost humanity. So he has to come, Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, folks, you're, you were, you're in trouble if you're not in Christ. Chapter 
4, verse number 5, Paul says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What do I have to do? Just believe him. I don't have to walk an aisle. I don't have to jump in a bat. We don't even have a baptismal. If you need a bathtub, we can got a couple of them. Why? Because it's not you, it's him. The reason that he cannot accept your activity, your work, your effort is because of Titus 1-2. The agreement to hope of eternal life, the agreement to, to provide eternal life for humanity was made with the Godhead, not you. He just has extended it, made it unto all and upon all them that believe. See, That's why you have to, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What's going on? Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6, for when we were, look at that, were, past tense, why? Verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, think about that. You have peace, not the peace of God, but you have peace with God. Why? Well, the section starts in Romans 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. By the way, I couldn't write all these down or otherwise we'd never have the screen full. The screen would be way open. And then I would get in trouble for giving you like 80 verses, okay? Because you're going to get 80 anyway. Look at Romans 1, 18. Notice how this starts. For the what? The wrath of God. Oh, he's just such a loving God. Kumbaya. He loves everybody. Yeah, he did, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners! What did he do? Come by, make everybody happy. No, he died. Why? Because the justice of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And what do you need? You need a savior. You need a middleman. The middleman, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You got to have a helper. You got to have a savior. Why? You can't get there on your own. So what does he say? By faith, Trust what I did, not me, Rick, but what Christ did. And you know what he says, Romans 5.1, guess what you have? You have peace with God. So if I've got peace with God because I'm where? In his son, then how dare you say God's testing me over here in life? That would mean that I don't have peace with God. So then God's a liar. See how, how important this is? That verse, five, Romans 5.1 says, you therefore being, you be, this is who you are, justified, what do I have? I have peace with God. How did I get there? Verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than. Oh, can, what, how, what can it get any better than that? Being now justified by his blood. There's something more better than being justified. And I know that's bad English. Deal with it. What? Being we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, 
Remember, the Lord tells the believing remnant, the little flock, you're my friends, and I go lay down my life for my friends. You were not his friend. You're his enemy. And yet, what did he do? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Come on over to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, actually, let's go to Ephesians 1. Let's go to Ephesians 1. You see, folks, God had to intervene in your life when you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel and you trust the gospel. And when God intervened there, it wasn't to make your life easy. It wasn't to come along and give you a, well, you're just going to have the peace of God, and so you're going to have a peaceful life and no headaches and no heartaches. He didn't do that. He said, what you need is me. You need my life, eternal life. That's what you need, and how are you going to get it? You just trusted me, so you got it. Smacked you upside the head. <laughs> Ephesians 1.13. Notice the order here. The order is backwards in the verse. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye what? So what's a, you heard the word of the gospel of your salvation, the word of truth, and then what did you do with it? You believed it. So unto all and upon all them that believe. Then what happened? Oh, now, you, now something went to, somebody went to work on you. Come over to Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Something happened to you the moment you believed that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Look at Colossians 2. Look at verse number oh, 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the now watch, the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and so on. You know what happened? The moment you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, an operation happened to you spiritually, where God the Father, come back there to Ephesians, uh, um, go over to Galatians. Let's get back on, on pace here. Galatians 4. God the Father comes in, blesses you, does some things, cuts you away from that bondage of that body of flesh, does, goes to operate on you. We have an acronym that the Holy Spirit, you, that in describing the Holy Spirit and His activity, and we call it cribs. we got little ones running around here. It's great to have the little guys around. Makes you hope for the future. <laughs> All right? What does He do? He circumcises you with a circumcision made without hands comes in and does some cutting on you spiritually, releases your inner man from the body of flesh and this bondage that's there. Then he comes in and he regenerates that spirit, makes, you, makes your spirit alive. you got a dead spirit. Ephesians 2.1, you that are dead and, and trespasses and sins, he hath quickened you. He communicates through your spirit, wakes 
gives your spirit his life, and now you have a communication. He then comes in and indwells you, comes in and lives in you. Actually, the whole of the Godhead lives in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They come in and they dwell in you, and they live in you, and they go with you. So when you go down here to where you shouldn't be, and you think you're good to go because nobody's looking, uh, somebody's always watching. Then he baptizes you. He puts you, takes you by one spirit. We are all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And he identifies you as a member of the church, the body of Christ. That's who you are. Then he does what Ephesians 1.13 does. He seals you. And that denotes the issue of security and identity. You belong to him. That's how he knows you. It's the spirit. He seals you with that earnest of the inheritance until the day of redemption of the purchased possession. That's what he does to you. He's intervening in your life in all of this. He's just not opening doors and shutting doors and moving you here and moving you there. He's working where? Philippians 2.13. Where's he going? He works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. He doesn't work on you. He works in you. Look at Galatians 4. Look at what else he does here. Galatians 4. Verse 1, Now I say, then the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth the son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, and that we, who's the we there? Think about this. The we isn't Israel. The we is we, the body, might receive what? The adoption of sons. There's an identity of sonship that we get. Why? Because the Father has declared the time that, guess what, you're no longer under. You're no longer under the tutors and the governors. Tutors tell you what to do. Governors restrict that activity. That's what the law does to you. He says, no, the law's done with. We're setting that over here. We're going to come over here and work under the schoolmaster of faith now. We're moving away from that. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now you know what he does with you? He makes you an adult son in his family. Now adults learn stuff, so don't think he just give you everything and you're good to go. No, he, he, this is the identity. Come, come over to Romans 8, that, that issue of Abba, Father. The only other person in Scripture to ever say, Abba, Father, was the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he announces that intimate relationship between son and father. By the way, I'll have you notice and pay attention to the family terminology that Paul uses. Father, son, brother, brethren, dear ones, beloved ones. He doesn't use, say, hey, you. The terms of endearment that he uses there. We talked a couple years ago about the love language of Paul. Look at Romans 8. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. No, children, not little dudes back in the nursery, but children. Who are we're that from family? See, familia there. We're the family there, and if children, then heirs of 
than heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of, with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, folks, we're an adult. He comes in and he says, you know what? You're not a baby in my family. You are a, an adult son. Now, by the way, the spirit of adoption. If you just let your eye drop down to verse 23, it tells you what adoption is. What is it? To wit, the end of that verse, the redemption of our body. He's given us a spirit of what? Of rapture, of resurrection, of eternal life. And he says, I do that because you're in me and I'm in you and we're good to go. This is who you are. Who are you? You're an adult. By the way, you know what adults do, don't you? They don't act like children. They grow up. If they don't know something, what do you do? You go Google it, you know. I was watching the news and Google MD made it. I got my degree from Google MD. You know, we were talking about that, I think, Wednesday night. It was on the news the next day. How did they know? Somebody's listening. And then your paranoia. So, you know, an adult doesn't do that. An adult isn't paranoid. An adult understands what's happening and knows what's going on and knows what God's doing today. And he goes and does that and doesn't worry about the rest. He, he Over there in Ephesians, and in Timothy, he says a soldier's not going to be entangled with the affairs of this world. Some of you get so balled up in what you think is important. You come to God's Word, and you know what's important to God? Your soul. And then you're standing and you're living His life out in the community around you. That's what's important. Not all this other stuff. That's just stuff designed by the system to toss you away. Well, way off. Ephesians 1, what does he do here? He's intervening, folks. Ephesians 1, verse 3, I quoted it a minute ago. What does he do? He comes in, he says, you're an adult, and you know what an adult knows? You know what an adult understands? That you, verse 3, what do you have? You have all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. You don't just have all spiritual blessings. You have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There's a location there's a thing that you're, he says in Colossians over there, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek it, set it, get it in there, get it into your thinking. How do you do that? Study. That's how you do it. You renew your mind. Come over to Colossians 2. All spiritual blessings, that means what? All of them. So then when God intervenes in your life in the moment of your salvation, of your justification, he front-loaded you. The only thing that's missing in all of that, but yet is promised to you for a future reckoning, is that new body, that adoption to it, the redemption of our body. That's yet future to come. We have it. It's been promised to us. We just don't experience it. Everything else we experience. Colossians 2, verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Well, who is that? Who's the hem? Which is the head of all principality and power. That's the top dog. That's the preeminent one. That's the potentate. The king of kings, lord of lords. The only potentate. He's the, he's the premier one. He's where our identity rests. But I want you to notice that word complete. Linda and I, we're doing, we're doing a puzzle. We got all the way down. One piece missing. It's incomplete what you get for buying one at Walmart. They leave them out. You know why they leave them out? Make you come back and buy another one. 
It's a trick. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> you know, Goodwill, I get it. But Walmart, come on, man, that's a sealed box. You know? And what do we do? We do another one, and guess what? We're missing a piece. It's what? It's incomplete. You are complete. You've got it all. You're not missing anything. He didn't say, Paul says, to, and, and he says over there in Acts to the Ephesian elders, he says, I left nothing out. I told you everything. And now I'm leaving, and good luck, here it comes. Here comes the attack. I didn't hold anything back from you. And God says, I didn't hold anything back from you either. I died for you because I love you. And my love reigns way back from eternity past into eternity future. And I died for you. I did for you what you could never do for yourself. And all you have to do is trust me, is believe me. And the moment you do, I will make you the richest creature in the world. And you'll be so rich in me according to the riches of his grace. There'll be nothing to hold a candle to in your mind. And I did that for you. And you go, wow. Well, how do I know that? How do, I, how do you know all this, Rick? Well, it's the second area of intervention then. In, in his what? In his word. When you, he comes in and he intervenes in your life every time we read the scriptures, every time we grow, every time we renew our minds. Come over to John 6. Just think about the scriptures. We did this a few weeks ago on what say at the scripture, but just think about, look at John 6, 63. Helps to be in John, Rick. John 6, 63. It is spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Paul says that over in Philippians, by the way. What I counted as gain is nothing but dung, waste out here, because I lost it all. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are what? Life. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is powerful, it's quick and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a dividing asunder of the thoughts and intents and the heart and the soul and the marrow. Why? It lays you out naked before God. Verse 13 says, you know what happens? That word gets in you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. By the way, that verse in Hebrews 4, I, I sometimes think we don't pay attention to the word quick because we'll always say the word of God is quick, alive, and powerful, and it is. But I also think of the word quick as in what? Quick, fast. It's not designed to work slowly. It's designed to work quickly. Get it in. Why? 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the end of that verse, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that what? Believe. Effectually, it has an impact on you. Why? When you believe it, it quickly goes to work. And it works in your inner man. And it renews the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4 says. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he talks about the transforming of your mind. The renewing of your mind comes from what? Not Rick. I'm a bozo. Just ask my wife. No, it comes from the Word of God, rightly divided. 
Come over to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, and this actually, these two verses help you with the understanding of the inter intervention issue on a daily basis. That's why you read three chapters a day, daily, renewing your mind daily, 2 Corinthians 4. But it also helps in understanding the chastisement, the chastening. Does the Lord chasten? Yes, He does. But it's how does He do it, see? Okay? Does the Lord correct you? Yes, He does. But how does He do it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 answer that for you. Make it clear as the plain as the nose on your face. <laughs> Here's the benefit of the Scripture. All Scripture is given. I love that. It's all done. There ain't no more coming. So guess what I can put down? The extra biblical hoodly-doo mess. What does an adult do? That's not. That is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So is Scripture profitable? Is it a benefit? Yes. Even when it's correcting you, even when it's reproving you, it's a benefit. It's, been, it's profitable for what? For doctrine. There's the do this, don't do that. There's the, the sound doctrine. By the way, that word sound, life-giving doctrine. There's the sound. There's the doctrine. There's what we're going to be doing. And then he says, for reproof. There's the bad behavior. We're going to correct some bad behavior based on you not doing what the doctrine said you're supposed to do. So we're going to have a reproving. Then he says, for correction. That's a bad doctrine. You, you, you got off base over here. You went and did something you're not supposed to do. You got to work salvation now. So you, you've, you've mixed Galatianism. You mix law and grace. So we're going to correct that out of you. For instruction in righteousness, we're going to take the formula, doctrine plus reproof plus correction, and we're going to have an instruction in righteousness. Here's what the Word of God says. It's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice as the boys like to say. Problem is, is they don't believe it. They don't do it. They just like the little liner. You see, he's going to come along and he's going to take his word. And it's going to work in you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 10, here it is. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, folks, what he's doing with you in the intervening aspect is it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He doesn't work on you. He works in you. How does he do that? Through his word. And he renews that mindset of you, that, that part of your inner man that's thinking. The mind, that part of your spirit that's thinking, and then your heart, that the mentality of the soul of you. He says, let's adjust that thinking to think the way I would have you to think. And then he moves. Come over to, when you talk about correction, come to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. And when you talk about him intervening in your life, you always need to remember 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Because this verse will help you. 
as we take in the sound doctrine and we build up the inner man, that edifice of, of edification, that house, and, and God works in that, and he works in that word working in your inner man, if you will. Here you are. See, eyeballs. There you are. There's your body, the big body, because Lord loves fat. Okay? Your spirit. Here's your mind. Here's your soul. That's you, by the way. You never give away your soul. You never can pass it on. You've got this body out here. That's the vehicle. Your body you can share. You can share organs. You can share limbs. But your soul you can't share. There's your heart. There's your will. There's your emotions. There's your conscience. Okay? You take God's word in. It resonates into your thinking. It, you, your will and your heart go up, grab it, say, that's what we're going to do. Emotions tell the body to go to work. As he's building up in there, then what do we have out here? We have circumstances of life. And you know where God's not working? In the circumstances of life. You know where God is working? Right there. In your inner man. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is what? The circumstances of life are common to man. We've all lost loved ones, two-legged or four-legged. We've all lost jobs, and if you're young and don't have it, you don't worry, you will. We've lost money. We've lost status, we've lost fame, we've lost fortunes, we've lost what? You know what it is? You're not alone. I remember when my dad came down with cancer and he said, hey, I got cancer and this and that and blah, blah, blah. You know what happened? Okay, now what? Why? Because he's now one of the statistics of everybody else. They go do what the doctor says, everything's good to go. Why? Don't you know what the dad was talking about? The, the doctor... Can you imagine the shock on the doctor's face when my dad and my mom don't fall apart with the news of cancer? Because what do they normally have? The fall apart. See? Comes in. He, it's common to man. You, you know what that verse tells you? You ain't special. Well, we're special because I'm in the member of the body of Christ and God got me, so I'm special. No, you're not. When it comes to things that come in life, now, you are special in that you're his and in the member, okay? But we're talking about the circumstances of life. Therefore, being justified, we have what? Peace with God. Circumstance. You know why your car broke down on the way to, to work? Wasn't God trying to teach you patience? It's because you failed to maintain the vehicle. I drove school bus. My bus would break down. The mechanic would come out. What did you do? I said, I did nothing. You forgot to change the oil. That's your job, not my job. It's your Well, you forgot to do this. Or you, you know why the tires get bald? Because you fail to take care of them. Not God. See? But what does religion say? Boy, you better be good because God's going to get you. Not if I have peace with me. If I believe I have peace with me. Keep reading. But God is faithful. Isn't that interesting? He is faithful. Why? Because we have peace with God. 
He's faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are what? Able. Why are you able? I just don't know, Rick. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Shut up, grow up, and let's get on with it because you will make it. Why? How do you know that? That verse says you are able. You're just like the pity party. You're just like the whining and the moaning and, oh, woe is me. Shut up. Come on. Let's go. Sorry. I don't use the S word. I'm not supposed to use the S word. Why? Because that's not how God's working. He's not working out here. He's working in here. Paul, the apostle, is sitting in prison in Philippians. And you know what he prays for? He doesn't pray that God would deliver him. He prays that the believers would continue to grow and that the Word of God can't be bound and to give me a voice and let me be bold in my speech. And say, oh God. Now, could, did God uh, get Paul out of jail a couple times? Yes. But that's not the point. The point is in the circumstances, where was Paul's mind? Right where he's supposed to be. Keep reading. Sorry. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape? Now, that would be great if the verse ended there. Then we can say what? Well, see, God's going to take it out of the way. But the verse doesn't end there. That ye may be able to what? To bear it. All the circumstances of life are common to man. And he's made a way for you to escape it. And that escape isn't to remove it out of the way, but rather for you through the sound doctrine working in your inner man. For the renewed mindset to be working in your inner man. For the sound doctrine to come up and say, use me, use me, use me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. And you reach over and you say, okay, let's go to work. That verse is now real. That verse is now working. Because what did you do? You've got it in you. You've just reached down and grabbed the verse and said, let's go. You can have the verses in you and say, no, we're going to, different color, we're going to let emotions run the show. And you can ignore the verse. But what you have to do is reach in and do what? Grab it. And go with it. So you see, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a great help. One, it tells me I'm not special. Everything that happens to me is common to man. Death and taxes. Whoopee. By the way, it is tax season. Hope you got them done. Okay. That was a big yep over there. All right. She's excited. Okay. You see, folks, it's what what is God do? The peace of God. I'm not, God's not my enemy anymore. He's not testing me. He's not training me. He, he's training me through the word working in me. If you come over to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the next chapter, the context, we got four minutes to do a, about an hour's worth of work here, but just catch this. Just catch this, okay? In the context of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, okay? He comes down at the end and he talks to them about examining themselves. But look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. When you go to Job 5, Job 5 defines chastening as the correction from the Lord. Okay? 
They go to Hebrews 12. That's the big passage they use. But chastened of the Lord, that, why does he chasten us? We would not be condemned with the world. Okay? Now, think about what he just said there. If we judge ourselves, how do you judge yourself? With what do you judge yourself with? Is my activity in line with God's Word? That I have put down into my inner man. Is this activity in line with God's Word? Well, no, it's not. Then what can I do for myself? I can go and fix it. I can correct it. So God is just what? Chastens me. Again, how did he do it? Through the word of God, judging my activity, my conscience, accusing or excusing. Your conscience is what tells you your activity is not in line with what you believe. For your younger folks, it's your mom and dad. They're your conscience right now. You see, then if that doesn't work, what, what's going to happen? But when we are judged, well, that's other brothers coming, the Galatians 6 idea, where they come, but what do they come with? The, hopefully the Word of God. They come, Galatians 6 verse 1, just so you have it in your thinking. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The spirit of what? Meekness. Restoring. What are you going to do? You're going to Second Timothy to them. You're going to be gentle. You're going to bring the word. You're going to put the word in them. They have to recover themselves. You can't recover them. But you're going to be patient. You're going to be understanding because you know what? The roles could be reversed. And one day the roles might be reversed. And you know what you're going to want them to deal with you? Graciously. <laughs> so you have a self-judgment. Then you have a judgment of others coming. And what are they bringing? Again, the Word of God reminding, here's the Word of God, and the activity is not in line. And then if that doesn't get you, then what's going to happen? He's going to, the third one there, is He's going to turn you over. If you fail to see, He's going to turn you over to the world. And the condemnation of the world, the Romans 8 stuff is going to come in. And actually in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, he demonstrated that by the removal of people. He says, let's remove them. So you see, but what do you, how, what's the basis of all that? It's God's Word. So Paul, God's attitude today, I've done everything for you. I'm working in you. I'm not working on you. I'm working in you. Come over to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll close here. God's not using the circumstances of life, folks. It's common to man, number one. Number two, we have peace with God. That should be number one. Also, by the way, in Timothy, he says, Yea, all those who will live godly shall what? Suffer persecution. We have a choice of living godly. What's going to happen? That ain't going to make people happy. You used to go out with us, and now you're not. What are you? Are you a do-gooder? You're a holier than thou? No. Yeah. Yeah. I am. 
Thank you. You're going to suffer. Romans 8.18, you've got to remember. I know I told you 2 Corinthians 4, but Romans 8.18, the present suffering of this. Uh, golly. Shall not be worthy, but that's not. For I reckon that the suffering of this present times are not worthy to be compared. Folks, we live in a dispensation of suffering. We do. Oh, no, God doesn't love me. Yeah, He does love you. He died for you. He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16, he says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For what, Now watch this. Watch what a renewed mind does. For our light affliction. Is the affliction light? Not usually. Not in the moment. But what's the perspective to be? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, circumstances of life, not the issue. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have a walk of faith. And what the walk of faith says is that God intervenes in my life every time I pick that book up and I read it, I study it, I look into it, I renew my mind. And then when the details of life come in, I'm fully equipped to handle them in an, appropriate, in an adult manner. And I don't have to be spun out into something else. I can stand as who I am in Christ. And what God says is God says, yes, yes, and yes. Circumstances of life are there because we live in a sin-cursed creation. Because we Galatians 6 and we're going to reap what we sow. Bad decisions make bad consequences. That's why volition is so such a wonderful thing. Volition is far more than just free will. Volition says you have the freedom of choice, free will, but you're also going to be held accountable for those decisions. You're going to reap what you sow. And then he says, man, just go live for me but do it with this perspective. It's therefore an eternal weight of glory. So how's God working? Philippians 2.13, He works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. The circumstances of life are there, serendipity, <laughs> big word, because you made decisions along the way to be there. God loved you. He died for you. He gave you His life. And he says, now go live that my life out there in the details of your life where you decide to go. What freedom that is. What liberty that is. And what amazing God we have and live for. Because that's what he did. He gave it to us. He said, now go do it. He's working through his word. And that's why it's critical to have his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions in it, for the things to see, for the, for the issues to, for us to adjust our thinking, reset our thinking, to think like you would think, to have the mind of Christ active daily in our lives. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in that, that we would walk worthy of you as we do that in the details of our own lives for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.